Well, thanks for deciding to tune in to the Zealous Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Snyder, and this week I've got Darren Kerr in the house with me. He is formerly a podiatrist, but he's got a company called Wonky Bodies. This Brit has been following and pursuing the information in anatomy and motion like myself and doing a lot of closed chain biomechanics, whether it's in the workplace or working with Olympic athletes. So we're going to get underway. In the meantime, don't forget to click that subscribe button if you haven't yet and follow us on Instagram at Rocky underscore Snyder. Enjoy the show. Well, Darren, welcome to Zealous. I'm thrilled to have you here because... You, like myself, have gone through a certain course of education known as Anatomy in Motion, which was developed, created, and is the brainchild of Gary Ward, who was over in the UK in your neck of the woods. And has, it's been a game changer for me in regards to how I work with clients, athletes, and, and so on. So it's good to have you in in the house here. And, and we're going to be diving into closed chain biomechanics and a whole bunch of other stuff so so welcome thank you thank you for having me i've been i've yeah, been now, following you for a while rocky you know I've, I've since since i've been following that i mean motion your name has been one of the ones that have been out there are the guys that are practicing this stuff so uh yeah i'm really interested to have this call and this conversation yeah i feel like i was somewhere in the front of the line when they were handing out the cups of kool-aid Aim, aim flavored, shall we say, and and I've been drinking it ever since because when you look at how the body is meant to move or you understand joint mechanics as a whole body integrative system, and then you watch somebody move, you can't unsee things. You it, Things start to appear that you realize this is not quite going the way it should. No wonder this person is having recurring sports injuries or on the job issues or maybe they just had one of those last straw that broke the camel's back movements but it begins to make sense as you see it so t- tell us first before we get underway and in, in geeking out with biomechanics and whatnot give us a little background about yourself if you don't mind Darren. yeah sure so i guess one thing i've always been interested in sport um, um, particularly hammer throwing, which I know it's it, it, it's, it's it's kind of a key event in the, in the US. We've got some great uh, American US hammer throwers in the past. Um, some good guys out there at the minute as well. Um, and I got captured, I guess, by that back in 1976, watching the Olympics on the TV. And there was a British guy throwing called Chris Black, and I just watched that guy spin him round and. You know the power and the the rhythm and the time it really captured my my attention so i always had that in the back of my mind while i was then growing up and, and wanted to get involved in that and then some years later um i did manage to get to athletic club so I, I was only about seven years old when that was on on the tv and then later on when i was in my teens i was able to get into an athletic club um and i was able to try some of this hammer throwing and i just seemed to have a natural flair for, for that room, rhythm and timing and I think I've got anything about my own personal capabilities, it is rhythm and timing. I'm relatively strong, I've got some speed in my body, but the rhythm and timing is what I've got. I'd probably make a good dancer, but I've never danced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, oh, so rhythm and timing in, in regards to just movement in general, or what are, what are we speaking of, in conditioning or what? Yeah, I, I, I really like that about the power of a throwing event how someone was able to, you know, um, work with the implement 
to put all their energy into throwing that thing as far as they possibly could. Um, and it was the hammer that originally captured me, but equally I love discus, javelin, shot put, um, and anything where the, the athlete releases you know, the implement, it could be a ball, even kicking a ball or throwing a ball, hitting a baseball, you know, how does that body and that brain work? So it captures that fine moment in time to deliver the performance and the outcome. Uh, mm. and, and I just love looking at that. Um, and I guess that sort of then took me into my job later on, which was really interested in wanting to do something around posture and movement. Um, and when it come to it, I looked at all the literature and I had opportunities, I guess, to go down maybe a physio route or an osteo route. And the podiatrists seemed to have better literature because they were talking about the feet being the foundation of, of this wonderful body and our feet could impact what happens at our knees and at our spines. And I thought, wow, these guys have got it. They know exactly where we're coming from. And I was then a little bit disappointed because the, the way I studied podiatry their knowledge seemed to end at the ankle um well i think that's a good thing to point out because for the podiatrists that i've met more often than not i would say nine out of ten times but it's because of that learning process that they focus from the knee down in fact i had a conversation at some social gathering a few years back and we were talking about the work that we did with gait mechanics and rehabilitation and so on. And the podiatrist was just excited about that. He's like, oh, that is great. Tell you what, you focus on everything from the knee up and I'll focus on everything on the knee down. And at that mo moment in time, I realized that we just weren't speaking the same language mm -hmm. and uh, the understanding of the body was a little disconnected for him. So I, I don't think it's the podiatrist themselves so much oh, as it is the learning process. Yeah, we, we know what we know, you know, and, and you know, the bit that stood out for me really was that the literature tells us a foot can impact a spine. But what they don't tell us is how or what the uh -huh. literature doesn't. And yeah, that was a little bit disappointing. So I then went just studying other sort of biomechanical and sports injury courses, looking for a bit more knowledge because I just thought there was something else. And then along the way, I kind of got distracted and I, I spent 10 years as a health and safety manager um, working for a US company, actually, um, in manufacturing and logistics. And I went into that because I was kind of interested in the musculoskeletal injuries, manual handling, ergonomics. Um, and we started to see people getting injured with some really obscure activities. You know, someone had bent over to pick their pen up and pull their back. And they'd be off work for six weeks. And these were good employees, loyal individuals. And you knew they weren't swinging the lead. They genuinely injured themselves. And I was starting to think, well, maybe these people, they're actually kind of physically broken before they then do that final event. And I, mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned about the camel and the, uh, the last straw, you know. <laughs> that is so yeah. true. It really is so true. Well, I think that's some valuable time that you spent there because you're dealing with um, a different end of the spectrum than, than the elite athletes and the hammer throwers and, and yeah. the Olympians that you train because those are highly conditioned athletes. While now, whether we consider them athletes or not, the people in the corporate sector are just continually deconditioning if they have the typical lifestyle they're in. So you get to see the 
the, the degradation of structural oh, integrity yeah. and the outcome that that presents. Yeah, and you know, some of these guys, I remember um, it was in a, a warehouse environment and there was, there, there was a couple of guys that really stand out for me. One was a guy that, he, he was the butt of everyone's joke because he kind of walked a little bit like a duck waddling. You know, there was something mm -hmm. about his movement pattern and um, he never seemed to ever want to lift anything. You know, so you might have looked on him being lazy. And uh, on one occasion, I was able to get close to him and we, we had a really good chat about why he... Because he used, he used all, all the lifting equipment, you know, the, the mechanical equipment. He was the only one that really used it properly. Sounds like a smart individual. Well, you know, this is, this is it. And when I spoke to him and said, look, how come you use it? No one else does. And he says, well, I'm not picking that up. He says, I don't move too well. I, I, I shattered my pelvis 20, 25 years ago. So uh, I can't actually move that well. And I thought, all oh, right, okay. This is one of those broken people. And then there was another fellow who, who walked very stiff, very upright. And there was nothing about his posture that moved. He, 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 walked, he moved as a solid unit if he, if he did move. And he'd had six weeks off with his back injury. And eventually when he came back, I'm trying to do my investigation so that it didn't happen to anyone else. And he told me about two, two really serious car accidents he'd had, you know. Um, in fact, one wasn't a car, he was driving a bus. And he tried to drive a double-decker bus, a two-tier bus, under a very low bridge. So about 40 miles an hour, he's hit this bridge. And then he's got completely crumpled over the, the steering wheel. Nothing broken, but just that shock and trauma. And I thought, wow, this guy is bracing himself for the next bridge he's going to hit. You know, that's that's kind of how I saw his body, you know, yeah. tension in it. And it was round about that time. Then I the, the Gary Ward TV um, episode came on and I thought, this is it. I've, I've found the missing link for me. He's, he's able to see these issues in people and screen them. I've got the people. <laughs> and it's... Yeah. Um, oh, it, yeah. Perhaps at, at this moment, we'll just take a take a side note here and, and what Darren's referring to is there was a, a show on the BBC that happened to be on Thanksgiving. I think it was 2017 in the U S yes. uh, Thanksgiving day. And, and it was called doctor in the house. And this strikingly handsome tall doctor would embed himself into the household of somebody in the uh, family in the UK. In this particular episode, it was a husband and wife with kids and the, the father, husband, was suffering from chronic low back pain for over 20 years. And, and so the doctor took him to see our teacher, Gary Ward, with anatomy and motion to, to a studio. And Gary put him on a force plate uh, to find out where his mass was being managed over his feet, looked at his posture, his structure, and took in a health history of injuries and episodes in this fellow's life. And as it turned out, his back pain actually stemmed from an episode when he was a, a child and he had a brick thrown at him and it fractured his jaw. And the way that his jaw had healed and the way that his, his subconscious has organized his posture, similar to what you were talking about by the truck driver waiting to hit the yeah. next bridge, his, his posture in this regard contorted just subtly enough 
where it presented a lot of issues elsewhere. In this case, it was his lower back that was really suffering. So in the episode, Gary put him into these postures or movements and got his jaw to kind of come into play with it. It seemed almost like witchcraft or um. uh, or some type of voodoo for those that aren't aren't in in the know. But this fellow just started walking around and his back was remarkably better within a short while. The, the pain wasn't quite gone, but it was dialed down several, several degrees on a scale of one to 10, him being somewhere around an eight or a nine constantly on pain med. He was able to get down to a, a one, two, or, or maybe at the most a three. So of course, uh, people like yourself saw that episode and uh, his phone had to be taken, his number had to be taken off the website because he was getting such a response. But it's it's things like that, that are just amazing when you understand that the body is always trying to do the best it can with every experience it has endured or, or experienced. So yeah, just remarkable. So that got you into the world of anatomy and motion. Yeah, so that, that, you know, sometimes you, you whatever's in front of you, you know is not the right answer. You yes. don't know what the answer is, but when you see it, it, it just becomes very clear. And for me, that become very clear. Although cynically on, on my shoulder here, I'd say, this can't be true. This can't be true. This is all yeah. in here or something. It's been just made up for the TV. But I, I went and sought out Gary and uh, signed up for his next course, next life course, which he was doing at that time. And, you know, during that week, honestly, my, my jaw just fell to the floor and I was absorbing it, and I thought, this is it. This this is what is missing, you know? And then I was starting to see how that that type of work could be overlaid also, as well as being sort of in a performance opportunity, could be overlaid into a, a work and business environment with employees, because we've all got one body. It works in the way it works, and we're either high performance or, I guess, relatively low performance, but we still get similar issues, you know? Very much so. And so, so how do you take this information of, of how the body moves? And if we can simplify it even further, the landing on planet Earth or blasting off planet Earth, we could call that pronation and supination as a full yeah. body experience on each of those. How, how do you take the knowledge of what the body should be doing and then applying it to the athletic population and the workforce population? I mean, I tend, I tend to just use one one process, really. Um, I guess I was, I was a little bit daunted by this approach when I first started uh, delivering it to patients and, and, and clients, trying to think, well, actually, I need lots of different processes. Just because you're an Olympic champion and you're the guy that sits in a desk as a, a receptionist somewhere, it's, it's the same process. So the way, the way I personally use the work is we, we, we take... Uh, video clips of a person's gait, you know, to start with, because what I don't want to do is start sowing seeds in individuals' minds about the way they should or shouldn't walk. So very early on, we get that, we capture that movement. We take lots of photographs um, uh, of them statically standing and just see how their resting posture presents itself from all different angles. I'm, all, I'm always surprised that um, how people hold themselves differently when they're looking at the camera or when they're looking away from the camera. <laughs> People somehow adjust themselves when the camera's in front of them. And then when the camera's behind them, they sort of form this different shape. It's, it's always pretty cool to look at. 
Um, I also use a force plate, and that was, that was something I had before I, I did Anatomy in Motion. Um, and there's software within the, 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 the force plate, which I used to just take as a given. Um, and I, I, I know that it's, it's, it's not that accurate in some cases. You have to interpret what that software is saying. It, it does a risk assessment on people. Um, mm. a, a low, medium, high risk when they walk or run across the top of the plate. Um, but I, I, I definitely see people that come kind of crawling into clinic. We walk them across the force plate and it says, no, you're perfect. That's great. Yet mm -hmm. I get guys that seem to seem to move quite well, yet it will give them a high risk uh, gait, gait pattern. So I, I just look at the images and, and look at the change uh, during sessions with, with the force plate these days. Yeah, and the force plate that we actually use is a bit different than what you might find in the the weight room setting. It's yeah. it's not to necessarily show fatigue during a set and to show velocity of, of bar path movement or anything like that. This is more a pressure plate that that measures <clears throat> the the degrees of, of pressure under the surface of the foot while either standing in a, a resting posture or static, if you want to call it, or more dynamically like treading over it, walking or running over it. Uh, just out of curiosity, what what brand of force plate do you I, use? I use one called Foot Scan. RS Foot Scan was the, I mean, I've had mine, I've probably had it nearly 20 years, I should think, actually. Um, During your podiatry days? Yeah, so um, at that time, when I first bought it, it was kind of closely linked with an orthotic supplier. So what used to happen is if you, you walked across the force plate, you got the high, medium or low risk. Those at high risk um, would be issued orthotics. Um, and that there was some really good study to demonstrate that that worked. Um, should we open up that can of worms right now? Should, should well, we just talk about I, the, I, the I elephant there? I can tell you how it did work for me. Yeah. So that, that bit of software, um, like I say, it gives high, medium, low risk to the individual of suffering lower limb injuries from their gait cycle. And the literature kind of looked okay, and I was a bit naive at that time, just didn't know what I'd no now i thought yeah okay it sounds it sounds about right and it had been used by the british military they had um run uh, their new recruits across this force plate and those that fell into medium or high risk just got some off-the-shelf orthotics some fairly simple insoles really um and what the study uh, suggested that if they issued those orthotics to the medium and high risks they reduced the injury rate by the i think it was 32 percent of new recruits going into the military, you know, a significant amount. And I, I just used to use that process, you know, and it kind of worked, but I also saw that maybe 50% of the people I issued orthotics to loved them and the other 50% didn't necessarily get on with them. And I couldn't quite understand why. And it, yeah, it played on me for a long while, but I've just continued with the process. I then think I realized actually what the what the thing was about these two populations, those that had a genuine kind of foot dysfunction or discomfort, they got on better with the insoles. Those people that had foot problems because their gait was moving awkwardly, we could do what we wanted with the insole. It didn't actually resolve the root cause of the problem, which wasn't in the foot. Mm -hmm. And and that, that that's how I because I still do prescribe orthotics now for some people 
but it's it's kind of my my last step in trying to treat people. Um, the first thing I want to do is get function in the body to start with. Yes. And, and the vast majority of the orthotics I prescribed, someone's probably got some kind of congenital foot deformity or they've had some really nasty accident, so it just doesn't function well. Um, so it's more of a thera therapeutic benefit as much as anything. So then it's it's a re-educational tool. At what point in time do you say, okay, it's been re-educated, now we don't need them anymore? Or are you just saying, oh, uh, here you go, take them and it's, take a walk? It's a bit of both. It's a bit of both. So some of the patients I see, that some of the patients I see, they wear orthotics and do not want to be wearing them any longer. You know? Mm -hmm. And that's that's great. We'll, we'll, we'll train them out with those if that's what they want. I've got other people that you just can't change their minds. So what I tend to do is we'll, we'll make them a maybe a, a less functional orthotic. So the foot's starting to move and adapt better rather than holding it in a very strict position. But I also get some patients that have, like I say, they may have a, a, a significant deformity, some sort of fusion of the talus or midfoot or something, and we just can't get that function back. Um, so with them, it's a very therapeutic orthotic device to you know, just have some cushioning and a bit of uh, a bit of lift, maybe in some cases, and depending on the condition. And then, do you give them movements in which to load with that new foot structure? Yeah, yeah. So I had a runner in just this week, and he's been wearing orthotics for about fifteen years. You know, and you could see his foot had morphed into the shape of his orthotics and the posting. But when we tested him. His foot could actually morph into any shape that we wanted to make in it, you know. Wow! So, so as a kind of a stepping stone, what we've done, we've actually created a slightly different orthotic with minimal posting, um, and he, he's trying to run his next marathon, which is actually just in about eight weeks' time. So, I didn't want to do too anything too extreme because we really want to get him around his marathon. But I, I saw some really nice function in his feet, so we've given him some movement, some sort of strength work to do with his. Um, it, well, it's the whole body strength movement, really, but being delivered through this powerful foot, supinating into the ground. And I'm pretty confident he's going to come away from that next marathon with a personal best. You right. know, there was there, there, there were dramatic changes in that one session. So, uh, fingers crossed. Watch his face. Yeah. And now I'm sure you get this all the time is the shoe question when it comes to footwear. Darren is what shoe should I what shoe should I wear, right? Um, it, do you get that? I imagine because yeah. I do all the time. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm I'm not I'm not linked to any shoe manufacturer out there, and I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 quite I guess I'm quite distressed by the level of control and function that's been built in to you know the brand names, all those, all those brand names that are out there at the top of our sports clothing and sports shoes. You know, and everyone's then relying on that that model and that device and the way it's functioning. You know, and, and it, it, within athletics, they're recognizing that there's there's actually too much technology in some of these shoes, so they're not even allowed to wear certain shoes and certain models in athletic events now. You know, in competitive events. Yeah, the ones with the um, the uh, is it Kevlar? Uh, yeah. In, in in the with the sole that gives you more, essentially essentially a spring gives you more boost. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, I think the IOC is kind of going through that right now and determining that these these shoes are not going to be welcome in France 
this summer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I was funny enough just yesterday. I was looking at some other rules because there's some some rule changes within my own sports and my own events, and uh, it came into footwear. And I thought I'd just have a little look in it. And there's brand names, brand names and models. You're not allowed to wear these in competition. You're not not allowed in our tracks. Yeah, um, interesting. So I'm, I'm I'm just looking for function. I want feet moving as much as they can because of all that, you know, that rich information that's coming through the skin and the, the you know the stretching and lengthening of the muscles. Our brain then can make some proper sense of that so that we can perform to our best. But if if we're masking that information by having a, a thick, rigid sole, then I don't know how the brain is going to cope with that optimum performance. How can we get optimum performance without having optimum function in our feet well maybe this is this is a good segue in in a somewhat selfish self-centered manner i guess because i've been teaching courses now with implementing foot wedges that 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 gary shared insight with us and the usage of and it's been game changing for the the conditioning programs and the, the athletes and clients that i train it's just remarkable and again if you don't understand it it appears like magic but once you do understand it it just it makes complete sense. So uh, I imagine you utilize the foot wedges with the work that you're doing uh, across the spectrum of the people that you have. A absolutely. Um, and, you know, if I go go back pre-Gary, I, um, I wanted to know, I've come from this podiatry world, but I wanted to know more about the body. So I've, I've got some qualifications in PT. I've been a coach in athletics for 30 plus years. Um, I... I wanted to know more about the body. So I wanted to come further up the chain. So through my sports injury qualifications, um, and, and I probably treat these days, I probably treat more shoulder and back issues than I do feet, if I'm honest. They're, they're, the, they're the complaints that people bring into clinic. And, uh -huh. you know, in, in my podiatry life, there's no way I would have even considered putting something in a shoe to try and correct someone's shoulder, you know? But I guess that's in essence what, what we're doing with the wedges. We can alter those foot positions to refunction, re-channel, connect that foot to the knee, to the hip, to the shoulder, and then that shoulder problem becomes no longer. It's yeah, it, it, it's so difficult to get across here. It really, <laughs> it really is. is, but it's it's remarkable. I mean, I, it you know when you stop and think, we I cannot unscrew my arm from the shoulder joint. It is connected. And and when that shoulder moves, it affects the motion of the elbow, my scapula, which is resting on my rib cage and muscles attaching to my spine. And if we look at like Tom Myers and his anatomy trains, oh. we'll begin to realize that these are just integrated actions. And, and when the shoulder behaves this way, we would hope that it, the rest of the body follows the rules and goes along with it. But it's interesting you said earlier, you, you mentioned the word missing. I, there, you felt like there was something missing. And how ironic is that because the what we look for is what is missing? What is missing in this person's movement? I know this should be occurring at this point in time, and yet it's not. So my attention gets drawn there. What's going on there? Is it trying not to move? Or is it being, or is there, what's the reason? What's the strategy that the unconscious brain is is determining this is something that needs to happen here, right? Is it? I, I don't know about you, but I love puzzles. Do you? Are you a puzzle yeah, master yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Try trying to unpick those problems. 
Um, and you know, I never, so I guess many, 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 many of the issues, I, I try to look at them as a symptom rather than the root mm -hmm. cause. So, so then I go hunting, trying to find the root cause of this particular problem. Whereas for the, the individual, the athlete or the person carrying the injury, that pain, that niggle, that is absolutely everything to them. And I feel some like feel sometimes like I'm fobbing them off because I say, yeah, okay, well, I get that that's the pain, but I'm not I'm not convinced that's the problem. I think we need to go looking somewhere else. And, and, you, and you get I your wedgie bill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, <laughs> yesterday I had this woman. We'll we'll share anecdotal stories here. This woman came in to see me. She had been told by orthos that uh, spine specialist that they could just fuse her lower back to to reduce the excessive motion that the vertebrae were doing that were really impinging on the nerves and and uh, just degrading the the integrity of her discs and and she just felt completely unstable she said if i i did a plank every day things would feel better if i get away from it automatically i could feel my back and she didn't want to go through fusion because she asked the doctor well what happens next do i just get fused further up the chain and he's like yeah eventually it, it essentially that was his it or hers uh, thought was like, that's that's just the process we do here. And so she came in and we looked and, and lo and behold, of course, she had a an ankle fracture. She wore a cast on, on one foot when she was about nine or 10 years old. She had suffered from another injury and she was complaining of shoulder symptoms from doing a, a workout with a, a trainer online, one of the kind of uh, subscription-based workouts, and she only had three-pound dumbbells in her hand, but for 10 minutes, she was moving her arms, and then suddenly her right shoulder flared up, and for the last year, it's been it's been problematic, uh, but her lower back was her main complaint, and anyway, we put her on the force plate and found that she had 40% of her mass uh, out of 100 in her right heel and about another 30% in her left heel, and she had no very little, un, about 10 to 12% of pressure in the forefeet. And so we're like, okay, well, that's that's quite interesting. You're drawing yourself back in, into that right heel. We could see some rotation and torque all the way up the chain, some counter rotation and so on. She was really not willing to go into certain areas and load into it, but, but there was no reason for it. There was no pain in those areas. So as soon as we got to load into say the forefeet, as soon as we got to shift her weight off of that right heel, maybe with a little help of, of wedges, we checked her shoulder, her shoulder didn't have that pain anymore, her back was feeling amazing, and it's just, you know, we don't want to, we can address the symptoms, but we don't want to spend all of our time and energy just focusing on the victim of the crime of the lower back, in this case, or the shoulder. Uh, she, we got to the end result of, can we load onto that that opposite foot, that left foot, can we put a little bit more of her load into the forefoot, which would mean she would have to dorsiflex her left ankle and flex into her left hip and knee and load into some tissue. And she was getting fatigued really quite readily, yeah. quite quickly. And as soon as that was, she walked around and it was completely different. Mm. That's the stuff I love. And I, I, that's great. I, lo I love to hear those stories. And I, hearing that's, when you were talking about the weight distributions, um, I mean, people that are listening to this, you know, you, you know, you'll get someone that's maybe got, I think the most I've had was about 50, 51%. Someone's got their weight in their heel, in one heel, 50% body weight. And if anyone's listening, try and get 50% of your body weight to stand just in one heel. 
you will start to get some aches and pains very quickly just trying yes, to get that shape. And even what you've just mentioned was that 70% body weight in the heels. You know, yeah, roughly a little over 70% in her heels. I don't know how these people stand up. I think 76 is the most I've seen. And how do you stand up? Because it's really, for me to try and do that, I feel really unbalanced. And it must take yeah. a huge attention to keep upright. But not good yeah. attention. Um, but I love it because you you see it's it's this I look at it as like a, a percentile when we think of human motion it always has to equal 100 percent we've got 360 joints in the body all adding a certain degree of percentage of movement but when there is a decrease in one area there must be an increase to make up for it somewhere else and yeah. vice versa so could it be that this woman's a destabilized lower back as she was coining it that her unstable lower back was moving more because somewhere else was moving less and when you look at it her hips weren't moving very well her ankle wasn't moving very well her shoulder was on lockdown so if these big buckets big joint actions these articulations that are meant for so much global movement are being dampened and restricted something's got to make up for it yeah is, oh, I love it. And, and in a sporting context, last week or the week before, I had a, a high jumper come in. Um, he's a young guy, and he's, he takes off on his left leg. So he runs on a curve that curves round to the left. Um, and then he would jump over, leading with his right side. Um, so I spoke to his coach beforehand, and one of the technical issues is the poor guy always leans towards the bar as he's approaching it. Now, if you're running on a left curve, you actually want to be leaning away from the bar. Um, and then the other thing is he uh, he's always got his legs out in front of him. They're way in front of his pelvis, you know. So that's another cueing thing. Try and get weight forward. Well, we put him on the force plate and he had 70 plus percent of his body weight in his heels. Oof. And when you watched him stand, he actually just constantly leaning backwards. You know, exactly what this coach doesn't want. Then we did a spinal test on him. Can you flex your spine to the right? Yeah, beautifully. Every single vertebrae doing a curve. Can you flex to the left? No. There's probably two vertebrae trying to do all this curve in a way to the left, which is a technical element, you know? So there was restrictions in his body, which was not conducive to high jumping. Although he's a great high jumper, he's a national standard high jumper. Um, we did a few simple things, some of those magic exercises. Whoa, this spine all of a sudden flexes to the left. Miraculously, his weight starts to shift forward on the force plate. Now, I'm, I'm keen to watch this guy this summer because I reckon his, his high jumping is going to move on. It, re it really has to move on because technically he's going to be able to compete so much better. And I, so I really, he was... His, his posture was representing... His resting posture was representing him entering the Fosbury flop is really what it yes. was. Yes, yes. He was locked in. Oh. He he had just engaged into one pattern and got locked in there. That's awesome. Yes. And we just need him to move out as he's approaching the bar. He was great when he was in the air. But sure. he, he couldn't get up. <laughs> and I don't yeah, know. Because he would, need to, he would need to do almost the exact opposite, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. I love it. And I love that. There was something similar. I had with a, a it was a multi-eventer this time last year, and and that guy 
when we he was he's a great thrower. His throwing events were fantastic, and he throws to the right side. So he kind of has to rotate to his right hand side and also flex to the right to putt a shot, to throw a discus, a javelin. Can't hurdle to save his life. But when he hurdles, he hurdles with his left leg leading. Well, to lead oh. with the left leg, he needs to rotate to the left. Yes. And he needed to kind of flex to the left. And again, when we tested his spine, his spine wouldn't rotate to the left. It wouldn't flex to the left. You know? Um, he was stuck in this thrower's body shape. He yeah. couldn't get into a hurdler's body shape. But again, and the beautiful we... thing that when we bring back anatomy and motion, we learn the different phases in the entire gait cycle. Seven, it's broken yeah. into, uh, well, six primary phases, if you will. And and every joint motion that you can think of is going to occur somewhere in one of those phases of gates. And in this particular case, being able to uh, laterally flex and rotate left, there's a moment in time where that should happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and can can we get that person to to get into that position and guide them in and out of it and making sure that all the articulations are behaving the way they should? Maybe we have to encourage it with a little bit of slowing one area down or speeding something up or maybe utilizing wedges or whatever the case may be. But as soon as they can access that movement that they have not been able to access, like joints open, tissue changes, nervous system ignites, and there's the, there's the science for, for exchanging the word magic, that there's the science. It's incredible. It's, yeah. And yeah, to, and to, 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 to witness it in front of you, and it's, it's just amazing. And if you've got someone with the room, so you've got their coach or their parent or their partner or someone, and you all then just sit there, just shaking your heads in disbelief of what you've just seen. Um, it's yeah, it's crazy. And we get stuck in these, these patterns, uh, movement patterns. I'm not sure if I've ever spoke to you about this story as well. Kind of moving off the um, the sporting kind of element, but it, it, this, this was really interesting to me. I had a patient who was a hundred hundred years old, and I'd, I'd never worked a hundred years old. Hundred, and I never, oh, I never worked me. with anyone that old. And I, again, I was sort of saying, well, "What what process do I use for people at hundred? And then I thought, "No, I just got to so follow the process. Follow the process. I can maybe dumb it down a little bit because this person's not physically that active, but." We can do it. And the lady had some neck and back and shoulder problems or something like that. And she'd had a couple of knee replacements, I think, and a hip replacement. Used a stick and come in like a proper old lady and sat down and a grandson had brought her in. And we just got her standing up and I used some textured matting um, just to try and wake up these senses. So we just did some wiggling and moving on, on this matting and after a while, I thought, well, actually, she looks like she's moving better. I think this, yeah, this is working. I said, just have a, just have a walk around and see how you feel. Well, this lady, she got up. She walks around the room. She comes back. There's no stick. She, honestly, the years have just been wiped away. And me and her grandson looked at each other wide mouth. And um, she said, oh, yeah, that feels a wee bit better. Um, we did a little bit more work. And then we got to a point where it's time to finish. And I said, right, okay, I think we're done for today. And, you know, that was lovely to see. And I think we've made some nice progress. 
with that, she put her coat on, she picked her stick up, and an old lady left the room. Oh. But what I was getting at is, is, is the, the distraction from that habit. And I think in many ways, that's how anatomy in motion works, is that we're able to distract people away from their habits that are causing the pain in many cases. But the yes. brain, the brain's pretty good in then going with that new pattern if it likes it. If it's happy with that new that new system that you're introducing to the body, it will happily sit with that. Yeah, when people ask me what I do for a living, I, I don't say personal trainer or strength coach. I just say I'm a disruptor. A disruptor. Because I'm a disruptor. I like to disrupt patterns that yeah. aren't that aren't serving a purpose at this point in time. At one point in time in the past, that pattern was the solution to get around the issues and the tissues or whatever it was they were they were dealing with. But it's uh, it's a tool that no longer needs to be done. In fact, it's causing more grief than it is health. Yeah. So why don't we disrupt this pattern and yeah. and let's see where the leaves fall out of the tree? And because the brain has a beautiful way of reorganizing and choosing the more efficient patterns. So, yeah. you know, one thing we didn't talk about, Darren, is, is your company name. I love it. Wonky Bodies. Wonky Bodies. So that <laughs> Wonky Bodies. It's, it's very English. I'll say that. But give us an understanding of how did that, how did that title come about? How did that, so that, that, that come came about? in the middle of the, the COVID lockdowns here in the UK. And I guess that there were lockdowns globally. But um, and in the UK, many practitioners like ourselves weren't able to get in front of patients. Um, and I'd had a couple of running clients come to see me just before lockdown and they came in, they said, oh, I've got this really wonky body. And I thought, right, okay, I kind of understand what you mean. And, um, it seemed to mean a lot to them. And there were several of them. I probably had maybe half a dozen of them come from this running group at different times. And they all, yeah, I'm a bit wonky. I thought, right, okay, that's fine. Um, then lockdown come and I couldn't get in front of patients, um, or they didn't want to come see me. I, because I was a podiatrist, I was actually still able to see patients face to face, but they didn't want to come in. So I needed to find a way of making some money. So I set up um, uh, Facebook groups, closed Facebook groups, and it um, was called Wonky Bodies. And yeah. people signed up to four-week courses, and essentially we took them through the anatomy and motion process, really. You know, one week we'd talk about uh, feet, and give them exercises and run them through the process, then we'd do... Uh, hips and spine and shoulders, different weeks, and then kind of tie it all together in the in, in the, the final session. So yeah, the wonky bodies come out of it was born of COVID, um, and I now call myself a wonkyologist. <laughs> <laughs> and again, people get it. You know, people don't come to see me because they know I'm a podiatrist. They they come to come to see me because they understand wonky. <laughs> Fabulous! You may want to trademark that. Just protect your pr protect the yeah. uh, <laughs> rights to it. But that is super. I love it. And it's so just kind of we're getting near the end of our conversation here. So if people are interested in in a wonkyologist like yourself, uh, or following you, or or just uh, just learning a little bit more about well, Darren Kerr, how how would they do that? Well, well, I'm out there on, on Facebook, Instagram, um, LinkedIn. If you hashtag uh, wonky bodies or wonkyologist, um, you, you'll find me. I'm, I think I'm the only person in the world using those two hashtags. Um, otherwise, Beautiful. otherwise, the company's called Posture Fit. All one word. Excellent. 
And you've got yourself, you've got a thrower for, uh, you've got a high jumper heading to the Olympics. Do you have other athletes that you'll be watching? Um, there's no other top, top line athletes at the moment. I'm working with a couple of uh, masters athletes. They'll be heading off to the European and world championships later on in the year. Um, nice. One of those is interesting because he, he's a, he's a hammer thrower. I've uh, known him for lots of years and we only recently discovered because I've never looked in the past. He he doesn't flex his spine in the correct way to throw a hammer. It flexes in the opposite directions. So he rotates oh. the wrong way and flexes the wrong way. So we've been spending time working on that. Fabulous. Oh, I would love to hear the outcome of that. I can yeah. only imagine. Oh, that's great. And well, Darren, I can't thank you enough. This has been a wonderful conversation. We, I'm sure we could share stories back and forth about the, the people that we've worked with and the remarkable kind of outcomes that we, we are witness to when we start to give the body what it needs or what it's been missing. Um, yeah, I just can't thank you enough. This has been great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for your time, Rocky. You got it. And that's it for this episode of the Zells Podcast. Darren, thank you so much for coming on, sharing all those tidbits of advice and wisdom. And I wish you well with the wonky bodies and all those things to come. In the meantime, if you want to contact Darren, check out the descriptions in the podcast below the podcast itself. And we'll see you next week.